Good morning, church. We are grateful that you are here. Uh, we're excited about what God is doing uh, through our hearts uh, over the last few weeks as we began a series called Heart and Soul. And for so many of us, we uh, have never really thought about the way that God created us. And in Genesis chapter 2, uh, that we were made into uh, creatures uh, that are in the image of God. And because of that, uh, we know that we have a soul and that our soul uh, is continually uh, wanting to be filled with something. Uh, we know that God created us to have a God-shaped vacuum in our hearts that we would ultimately want to fill in our soul with Him, but instead so many of us have a tendency to chase after things in the world. In week one, we said uh, that we have a wandering soul, is what Scripture would say in Genesis chapter 4. A matter of fact, the wandering soul is always seeking, but it's never finding. It's intrigued by everything, but fulfilled by nothing. What happens with the wandering soul is that we are always searching. We're on a quest for our own identity, for something to make us happy, to make us feel good, whether it be pleasure or the pursuit of other things. And what that leads to is a thing that we discussed last week called idolatry. Uh, idolatry uh, ultimately is us searching for a cheap substitute in the place of, a, uh, of the God that we are called to love and serve. And here's what you need to know is that cheap substitutes will never satisfy because they'll cost you more than you want to pay. And so last week, we just reminded you that even though our hearts are prone to wonder, our souls are captivated by many things in this world, uh, that we shouldn't be intrigued by everything, uh, that we should be careful to not be caught off guard by idolatry in and around our lives. And so we just encouraged you last week to do a couple of things. One was to discover the idols in our life, uh, then to begin to destroy them. Because uh, if we don't destroy our idols, we know that our idols will destroy us. And then thirdly, we encourage you to deepen your affection, your love, your honor, your worship uh, towards God and towards other people. And so based off of those things, uh, I think the next step for us this morning is to discover not just that we have a soul and that our souls are prone to wonder or prone to fall into idolatry, but ultimately to go back uh, and discover what it is that houses the soul. Uh, matter of fact, we've said uh, the last couple of weeks that we are not uh, bodies that have souls, but yet we are souls with a body. And so when we were created in the image of God, he created us with a soul and then he housed it with a body. And oftentimes there's references about our body being the temple of the Holy Spirit. If you've ever been to church, you've heard it. If you've not, you might have heard it yourself. And that comes from something that Paul is speaking about to the church in Corinth. Uh, he's addressing some uh, immorality in their midst, uh, particularly as it relates to sexual sin. But then he makes the statement in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 19 and 20. He says, Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. So what Paul is saying here is that 
we, apparently those in the church in Corinth, are the the people uh, that are dealing with the Holy Spirit, that their bodies are the temple, uh, that that comes from God, and ultimately that we should glorify God with everything we have, including our bodies. And so as we begin to think about that, that we are the temple of the Holy Spirit, I think it, it would be helpful for us this morning to spend just a few moments thinking about what the temple is. Uh, what is the temple is a really good question. Uh, in the Old Testament, you oftentimes heard about the temple. But before it was the temple, it was a place called the tabernacle. And the tabernacle was a place that the Jews could actually pick up and take with them on their journeys. Uh, the, the tabernacle was oftentimes referred to as the tent of meeting. It was the place in which God uh, ultimately was the architect of. He planned it. He uh, gave them specific measurements and told them how to furnish this tabernacle. It was the place that God would determine to dwell in the midst of his people. Uh, Moses longed to see God and to know God and ultimately to have a way to express his worship to God. But God said, look, if, if I'm in your midst, I'm an all-consuming fire. I'll ultimately consume you. But what he came up with was the opportunity to have the tabernacle, a place in which he would dwell in the presence of the people of Israel, this Old Testament people that he had called that he said, I want to make you into my people. I want to give you land, people, blessings. I want to dwell with you. And so God would dwell in this tabernacle. But there were so many rules and specifications around it. Only the Levites, which was one of the 12 tribes of Israel, could even really get near uh, the tabernacle. They were the only ones that could deal with its furnishings or the articles of the temple. And then ultimately, there was one person uh, called the high priest, and he was the only one that could deal directly with God. In a sense, the high priest was a mediator or the go-between from this nation, Israel, and this God who's dwelling in their midst. Later, though, God would uh, institute a more permanent structure rather than this one that uh, was going from place to place. And that would ultimately come under the hands of King Solomon. Uh, God had promised King David that uh, a temple would one day be built. And though it wouldn't be built by him, it would be built by his son. And so Solomon would see this temple come to fruition. And ultimately, it would be the permanent dwelling place where God, and as Scripture says, the Shekinah glory of God would dwell among his people. And again, the people of Israel would ultimately know that uh, this temple was a place where God would be honored and uh, they would pay him tribute and they would do sacrifices uh, to him. And one of those uh, sacrifices would be called uh, a sacrificial system on the Day of Atonement. The Day of Atonement would be where a high priest would come in one day a year and he would uh, cleanse himself externally by the blood of bulls and then eventually would go inside uh, of the tabernacle in this chamber called the most holy place or the holy of holies and he would make sacrificial um, elements to God. He would sprinkle the blood of a goat on the mercy seat of God and God would forgive his people and they would have the remission of sins for a year and year after year after year God uh, would require these sacrifices from these people 
Then God decided that uh, the people of Israel had been prone to wander. Their souls were being captivated uh, by other gods and goddesses. Uh, the people of Israel, they longed to, to know and have the promises of God, and yet they had a soul that was inquiring about other things and was rarely fulfilled by the one true God. And so as their hearts, their minds were captivated by the gods of bells and uh, by idolatry with Asherah poles and other things, Israel began to be led astray. And prophet after prophet after prophet of the Old Testament would remind them to come back. And it led to eventually something that happened in Ezekiel's day, uh, perhaps in the late uh, to mid, mid to late 590s, that uh, possibly the Shekinah glory of God would depart from the people in those days. In Ezekiel chapter 10, Ezekiel the prophet uh, writes about seeing uh, the glory of God depart from the temple in that day. What happened was is that God said, you know what, people of Israel, their hearts have wandered far from me. They have been prone to idols. I've encouraged them to discover, to destroy the idols, to deepen their affection for me, but they've refused to do so. And so finally, God gave him over to the depravity of their ways, and he departed from their presence. Now what you had was a, a temple. You had stones, and you had mortar, and you had brick, and you had articles, but the place became desolate. Later on, the scriptures would tell us that it was going to be destroyed. It would be destroyed by the hands of the Babylonians, but long term, people wanted to have God in their midst. And the question is, is would they ever? Well, if you go back and you begin to think about the words that Paul would write to the church of Corinth, he says, hey, you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. What must that mean? If God left the temple in the Old Testament, but he desires to live in the temple today, what is the temple? Well, I don't know about you, but when I was growing up in church, I always thought the church was an aspect of the temple, uh, that the church was a building of sense. Matter of fact, y'all might remember uh, saying, hey, mom and dad, we just went to Sunday school. Can we now go to, say it with me, Big church. You don't remember big church? That was where all the adults went, all the people who had their lives together. And we would go and we would listen. Can I just be honest with you? Kind of, kind of do a boring sermon. And oftentimes I remember dozing, my mom nudging me or pinching me to wake me up. But I always thought that the church was this building. I think it's a great misconception we have that the temple was a place we go or it's a, an event. A matter of fact, you might have even said something to someone this week. Hey, you want to come to church with me? Church starts, and then you gave them a time. And you might have given them a time of, of the services here on the Wills Point campus, or you might have encouraged them to go uh, to the Edgewood campus. And you go, hey, we got church, and it's happening at 8.30, or it's happening at 10 or 11.30, or over there, it's going to be happening at 9 or 10.30. Either way, our language oftentimes says that, the temple is a place, or it's an event. It's something that we attend. It's a place we go to for funerals or to weddings. We go, hey, when are we going to go to church? You're going to join me for lunch after church today. And I think what the greatest misconceptions in our day and time is that 
the temple is a place where God dwells. Matter of fact, uh, it's not uncommon that I will see a parent get onto their child and they'll say, hey, stop running in the church. Hey, you're disrespecting God. Hey, put on some different clothes. No, you're not wearing flip-flops to church today because God's there. And we want to make sure that we honor the Lord in his house. And the question you have to ask yourself is, is the place that we're sitting today, is it really the church? Is this the temple of the Holy Spirit? Is this the place that God dwells? Or is there something more? It reminds me of a guy who on the 2010 census, uh, he was asked what his church preference was and he wrote red brick. I mean, think about that. Isn't that oftentimes our preference? I, I don't want to go to that church because I, I mean, they're in a metal building. or I don't want to go to that church because look at it. It doesn't look like anybody's in there. And I think we've missed it. And so I think the question we have to ask ourselves is what is the temple of the Holy Spirit? Well, Paul alludes to it being something besides a building. Matter of fact, he's going to address the issue um, several different places. Uh, but you'll also see in Acts chapter 17 um, that there's a conversation that's happening. And this is what it says in Acts 17, 24 and 25. It says, The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. The idea there is this, is that the church is not about a building. The church is not about an event. It's not about a time. It's not about a place. Uh, in the coming series that we're going to begin in a few weeks, uh, we're going to begin to talk about what the church is, that it is indeed a people. What we do know is this, it's not bricks, it's not stone, it's not mortar, it's not metal. It's nothing that relates to anything resembling the Old Testament temple. It's not a place where you go to find God. It's not a service it's, it is, in a sense, us understanding what the temple is. And so what Paul would say is the temple is us. It's our bodies. And so then that begs another great question. Does that mean that we are all the temple of the Holy Spirit? That all of us have a temple? Or do some of us just have a body? And I think there's some great scripture that go along with that. So I just want to show you a handful of things today. I got five quick things I want to reveal to you. And I think the very first one to me uh, was, was really encouraging to me when I discovered this for the very first time. But I think number one, it's really important for us to note that the temple was built when the soul is made alive through the spirit. And so the temple was built when our soul comes alive. So what I'm trying to help you understand through the last couple of weeks is this, is that we have a soul that's housed by a temporal body. Our soul is prone to wonder, and we will only find rest for our wandering soul when ultimately we find hope in Christ and Christ alone. It's when we find rest in God's provision through his son Jesus. And at that time, when we finally discover 
um, the God of the Bible, what he's done for us in his son Jesus, when we don't have to wonder anymore, but when we finally come to rest on the rock of our salvation, Jesus, what he's done for us, then we need to know that the scripture says that we are now being made alive in the spirit. And when we're made alive in the spirit, I want you to realize that scripture would say that that is a a transaction that occurs very quickly, uh, that the spirit would indwell us and make us alive in him. Uh, It is a process which called justification. It's just as if we've never sinned. So what God does is he reaches down in our sinfulness in all of our idolatry, in all the places that our wandering soul has been, and he brings about forgiveness, hope, restoration, clarity, and peace. And he begins this process of cleaning out things that do not honor him so that he can move in and he can dwell within our souls and ultimately to redeem our soul and dwell within the body. Uh, Titus chapter 3, verse 4 and 6 says this, But when goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of our works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and the renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior. So what happens is, is that salvation, when God enters into our life by the forgiveness of sin, By the testimony of his grace, he renews us. He makes us a new creation, is what the scripture would tell us. In Ephesians chapter 2, 1 through 7, and later on in in that same chapter, this is what it says. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins. What that means is, is that you were created in the image of God to have a soul, but your soul is wandering. It's captivated. It's inquiring about everything, but it's fulfilled by nothing. Until finally we come to know Christ. So what we, were, we, what we were is we were dead. And then God says, but I made you alive. I brought you unto me. And when I made you alive, you were no longer dead in your sin and trespasses. You're no longer the way that you used to be. Matter of fact, in verse 2, it says, you were, you were dead in which you once walked, following the course of this world. You were following the prince of the power of the air. The spirit that is now at work at the sons of disobedience, among whom we once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of our body and mind. We were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love in which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together in Christ. By grace, it's that we've been saved. We've been raised up with him, seated with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. When we trusted and followed Jesus, we then became the temple of the Holy Spirit. So we've always had a soul and we've always had a body. But one day our soul was made alive in Christ It came to rest on the foundation of Jesus and what he's done for us by the means of the cross. And at that point, God transferred our body into a temple that now began to be filled by the the Holy Spirit. So we are the temple of the Holy Spirit in which we now also have access to God. 
See, remember the old temple, the building made of bricks and stones, or the tabernacle made with skin, was a place that was only dwelt by a handful of people. It was a limited access to God. But now, look at Ephesians 2, verse 18. It says, for through him, meaning Jesus, we, we now have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and the members of the household of God. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. Look at that, that's us. Now we have complete access to God. We don't have to go to a physical location. It doesn't have to be a certain type of building. It doesn't have to be an event. We now house the Holy Spirit, the same God that freed the people of Israel from the bondage of the Egyptians, who brought them across the Red Sea, ultimately now lives in us. We have the power of the Holy Spirit. We have the renewal, the regeneration of the Holy Spirit. He lives in us. Now we have full access to God. Jesus is our mediator, our high priest. We can come and go to God. Jesus is ultimately speaking on our behalf. The Holy Spirit even, uh, in a sense, groans for us. We now are the temple of the Holy Spirit at our conversion. That's what it's talking about. In John chapter 1, verse 14, John, uh, the disciple of Jesus, he says this, The Word became flesh and it made his dwelling among us. The Word being Jesus now made his dwelling among us. That's not just in our midst. That's not just around the people of the New Testament. But ultimately, it would be within the people of the New Testament. What was so interesting about that word uh, that John uses in John chapter 1, verse 14, he says that he made his dwelling among us. It's the Greek word skene, which means skin. So from the beginning of time, God had a plan to ultimately fulfill his promise to all the nations of the earth by dwelling among us people with skin, mortal bodies that could become holy temples, pleasing in God's sight, that would house the very presence of God. I don't know about you, but just spend a couple of moments thinking about that. Every single one of us here this morning, because of the means of salvation offered in Jesus Christ, grace and mercy bestowed to us on behalf of God uh, to a sinful people can now be made right to have great fellowship with God, but even more than that, to house the very presence of God. I mean, friends, think about that. What's the implication of that? Our body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. He lives in us. We are his hands and his feet. We are more than a building, an event. We are a people. And we are to celebrate that new life in Christ, the Spirit manifesting itself, reclaiming our dead souls and our broken bodies for the purposes of God. And what's encouraging is, is that once we're made into the temple of the Holy Spirit, the work of renewal, of regeneration has now begun. And it's, it's process 
called sanctification. And I just want to kind of point out a few things. Um, is that once God dwells in us and we're the temple of the Holy Spirit, he empowers us now as a believer to live a life that's pleasing to him, uh, to do his will, to do the will of Christ. Matter of fact, Galatians 5.16 says this, but I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. I think that's what Paul meant when he was talking to the church of Corinth. When he goes, listen, don't you know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? that you've been bought with a price, that you're not your own. So glorify God in your body. The idea is this, is that now that you are the housing chamber of not merely a soul, but a soul being remade into the images and the purpose of God, you have been filled with his spirit. You've been made alive, though you were dead. You have been made uh, to walk in light, though you formerly walked in darkness. You are now an heir of the king of life rather than the principality of darkness and death. He goes, now glorify God in what you do. No longer gratify the desires of your flesh, that mortal body. Romans chapter 8, uh, Paul would write it this way to the church in Rome in verses 14 and 15. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. So how do we know that we're a son of God? Because we're led by the Spirit. Because our souls have been reclaimed, reborn, renewed, and ultimately are being led by God. Verse 15 says, For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoptions as sons, as whom we cry, Abba, Father. The idea and the implication of Scripture after Scripture after Scripture in the New Testament is that once we're filled with the Spirit, once we are the temple, everything we have is God's. Our, our mind is his. Our eyes are his. Our hands are his. Our feet are his. Our mouth is his. Everything being redeemed for his purposes. And the Spirit then begins to help us produce fruit in our life. That everything that we do would be done in love. That we would serve others because we esteem them as higher and better than ourselves. The Spirit would then begin to convict us of sin in ways that we've missed it. Maybe harsh words that we said or response and anger or, again, that wandering soul that continues to go back to something that we shouldn't go back to. That's what God's beginning to do. It's working out our salvation. Now listen, as we close out this series in the next couple of weeks, we're going to be talking about working out these bodies. We're going to be talking about what it looks like to really care for them. It's going to get really practical. And I'm going to make you a, a real quick pastor promise. It's going to be worth being here over the next two weeks. But here's the deal. Why would you care for this body if you don't understand what this body is housing? So this, house, this, this body is a chamber for the soul that's being renewed by the spirit that ultimately is the containing agent of the God of the universe, his spirit by his grace, now leading us into conformity with his will and his ways. And I don't know about you, but that charges me up. And the reason why is because God is continually day by day working out my salvation with fear and trembling. And so, yeah, just like you would go get on a treadmill or you'd be preparing for a long run, uh, just as you would be uh, working out to tone up your muscles, we should be working out our salvation. Why? Because the Spirit's indwelled us and He's empowering us to be conformed to His image and His ways. Uh, one of the things that God does too, and the third thing I'd point out, is that God then gives us spiritual gifts. 
And so at conversion, once we trust him for salvation, he makes us the temple of the holy God. He indwells us with his spirit that leads us to truth. And then he gives us good gifts, good gifts that promote his body, the church. 1 Corinthians 12 uh, speaks candidly about this in multiple areas. But verse 4 and 6 says this, Now there are a variety of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are varieties of service of the same Lord. There are a variety of activities, but it's the same God who empowers them all and everyone. God has given us all different gifts uniquely within the body to encourage one another, to exhort one another, to admonish one another to speak truth to one another, although uh, are things that are gifts from God to promote his church for this season and this time and this county and this world for his purposes. 1 Corinthians 12 goes on to say in verse 12, For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. See, when God comes into our lives, makes us alive in Christ, we're the temple of the Holy Spirit. He shapes us, forms us, molds us, transforms us into his image, and then gives us good gifts to edify, spur on his body, to make his name known among the nations. I mean, as you look around you and you see all of these different mortal bodies, it's encouraging to know that God is using those to indwell his presence. And then number four, the indwelling of the spirit helps every believer understand and apply the scripture to his daily life. I don't know about you, but um, when God came into my life and he began to transform me one of the things that I think I had the greatest challenge of picking up was the scripture. I, it was difficult for me to wrap my head around. I, I didn't understand countries and themes and people. And why in the world would you name somebody Nehemiah or Ezra? Who in the world's Obadiah anyway? And why would you be concerned with a guy who's swallowed by a well, a guy named Jonah? And what does this all mean anyway? What's the, what's the church? And I don't know about you, but, but maybe you've been there. Here's the deal. As you have the Holy Spirit in your life, God is not just giving you good gifts. He's not just giving you the power of God in your life for no reason. He's giving you that so you can begin to discover who he is through his word. And I think one of the, this is probably one of the last things to begin taking shape in the life of the believer because so much of our life is compromised by wondering. Uh, We wander after different things. We wander after idols, but oftentimes our thoughts wander and oftentimes our feelings wander. I don't know about you, but every day I get up and I might feel a different way. Some of you in here, you're prone to make decisions based off of how you feel today. And if you feel differently today than you do tomorrow, there's no telling what you'll do. But as we grow in Christ, as we house the Holy Spirit in us, I think it's important to note that one day we can begin to make decisions, answers based off of the scripture. We can begin to discern and know God's purpose, his will, his ways. Not because we're feeling our way through it, not because we're making it up based off of other men or uh, women's opinions, but that we know concretely with great evidence about what God is doing and has done through the word with consistency. Uh, 
1 Corinthians chapter 2 speaks about this issue. Verse 11, it says, For who knows a person's thought except the spirit of that person which is in him? I oftentimes say, if you knew what was going on in my mind, you wouldn't let me be the pastor here. And the reason why is because I know what's going on. I know how corrupt I can be uh, without the Spirit's guidance in my life. Matter of fact, you know what's going on in your mind even in this exact moment. But then it goes on, it says, So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. What that means is the wandering soul is always going to be inquiring about other things to fill the void in our life until eventually the hole is finally completely filled. And the only thing that can fill it is not fame or sex or uh, drugs or substances or relationships or cars. It's not the yard of the month. It's none of those things. All that can fill it is the Spirit of God. And when the Spirit of God fills our life, it then begins to comprehend and know everything about who God is. Why? Because the Spirit of God is God. And so because the Spirit of God is God, he's making us into the image of God. It goes on to say in verse 12, now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. Verse 14, it goes on and says, The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are, what? Spiritually discerned. The idea is this, is that oftentimes people don't discern what's going on. They don't understand uh, what it looks like to live by the Spirit because they're not housing the Spirit. It's impossible for me to place on you the duty or even the conviction of becoming or being the, the, the temple of the Holy Spirit if the, the Spirit doesn't live in you. And if the Spirit doesn't live in you, I can't call you to live with high standards biblically. I can't begin to show you the Scripture in a way in which you can interpret it by the Spirit. Why? Because the Spirit does that for us. And so what we know is, is that people who do not have the Spirit, are not the temple of the Holy Spirit. And if they're not the temple of the Holy Spirit, they don't have good gifts from God. They have not been redeemed for His purpose. And ultimately, they will not be able to discover the truth of God through His Word until they are housing the very existence of God in the form of His Spirit. And then the fifth one is simply this, is that we are not only the temple of the Holy Spirit, housing God's great gifts, promoting his church, understanding his word, but we ultimately are sealed for the day of redemption. That means that one day this old temple, this body is going to give out, but he's preparing me for something that will outlast it. Uh, what I am in, in essence is a temporary tent of meeting. I am a place that's going to get old, going to get wrinkly. Ultimately, this body's going to corrode, dissolve. It's going to give out. Something about me is going to stop. And when it does, there's something that will begin. My best days are ahead of me because of the eternal impact that is ahead of us, because we house the Holy Spirit. 
Ephesians 1, Paul writes uh, in verses 13 and 14, he says, In him, meaning Jesus, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance, inheritance until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of his glory. Meaning, because we are the temple of the Holy Spirit, one day we'll dwell with God forever. Uh, we won't just have him in our lives, we'll be able to see him face to face. Uh, we won't see the world as we see it now in a mirror dimly lit, as Paul writes to the church of Corinth in 1 Corinthians 13. But one day we'll be able to see God in all of his fullness and all of his glory. Right now we are preparing ourselves for the day of redemption, for the day in which God uh, takes us to be home with him. And so as we do that, we have to begin to think, well, um, how, do I, how do I wait for that day? How do I sustain for that day? If God's preparing me for the day of redemption, then should I just become very spiritual? I mean, should I just grow in knowledge of his word? Should I just attend more meetings and more gatherings? And should I be more committed to his church? Oh no, maybe I should start working out. Maybe I should start caring for this thing. Maybe I should get this old heart of mine in, in, in better shape. Maybe I should start jogging. Does that mean I should be a certain weight? Should I be a certain shape? And here's what I know. I know that God is going to begin to help us wrestle with all of those things. And I pray that we'll do it over a biblical perspective in the next couple of weeks. But here's what I think is important. As Paul writes to the church in Ephesians in uh, chapter 4, verse 29, he says, Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as good for the building up as it fits the occasion. And it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. So lean in with me for just a second as I kind of wrap this thing up. In week one, we said that our soul is created in the image of God, but because of sin problem in humanity, that we are prone to leave the God we love. We're prone to wonder. We are continually inquiring and searching, but never being fulfilled. That we can only find rest in God and God alone through the person and the work of Jesus. Week two, we said, look, if we know Jesus, we need to be careful to not be led astray by idols. Ultimately, idols were the demise of a people called Israel, and they'll be the demise of the people of God today. And so what we got to do is discover those idols. We got to destroy them with intensity. We got to obliterate them out of our lives. And we got to deepen our affection for Jesus. Why? Because we're the temple of the Holy Spirit. And we're the temple of the Holy Spirit. It means that the very presence of God, the awe-striking wonder of God, the beauty of God, the resonating um, aspect of God is in our lives. We house him. And so if we house him, we probably need to begin paying attention um, to how we care for ourselves until the day of redemption. For the day of redemption for all of us in this room is going to be a different day. For some of us, it could be soon. For others, it could be later. But what I do know is this, as we await the approaching of our King Jesus to come and ultimately to receive us as his people unto himself, we need to know that he's preparing us day by day, that it, we are working out our salvation with fear and trembling, that we're housing God, that we are his people, we are his hands and feet. And ultimately, everything we do with our body matters. The words we say, the actions we take, the foods we eat, the things we drink, all matter. And so I hope that you'll come next week as we discover that and we dive in the next two weeks into this a little bit more practically 
as we've already discovered in the first three weeks, a great theological framework for all this. Church, it's great to be with you. I pray that it was a blessing to you. If you're a first-time guest, we'd love for you to come uh, at the end of the service today to the connection point that way. Uh, We'd love to pray for you, encourage you, give you a free gift. Uh, More than anything, we'd love to meet you and and, uh, we'd be blessed by getting to know you. Let me pray for us, church. Heavenly Father, um, I thank you for uh, this morning. I thank you for being a good God. And Lord, there's just something that's weighing on me uh, that if American Christians cared half as much as they do for their bodies as we do for church buildings, I think the real church would arise. God, we are housing the temple of the Holy Spirit. You have created us to flourish. You've created us to have bodies that are ultimately tents or tabernacles for the dwelling place of God. We are people with skin on. We are flesh. We are mortal. This body will come to an end, but the soul won't. It's been redeemed. It's imperishable. It won't fade away. It's being sealed by the day of redemption. But until then, God, you want to you grow us. Uh, you want to move in us. You want to teach us by your scripture. You want to rebuke us, correct us, train us to righteousness. And so God, I pray that you would help us with that. Help us to know the importance of our body that has been bought with a price and that it's not our own. And so right now, we just want to steward it and we want to do it well. And so I pray that you begin teaching our hearts about what that looks like. We love you and it's by your grace and your mercy that we're here today. And Lord willing, uh, we'll have a great week of worship, uh, making you famous in all areas of our life. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.